0: Well, this morning we're in the second message in courageous leadership, and we're going to talk about the need for spiritual power. Now, as I was uh, preparing this message, and as I went back this week, I've got about 10 or 12 shelves of books in my library on leadership from all kinds of people. Many of them are written by Christian leaders. Uh, but I've got uh, a shelf and a half full of leadership principles from military leaders, from business people, from managers, from CEOs. Uh, I've got section a whole section of books from people like Pat Williams and Mark Miller and Ken Blanchard and others. And so I like to read a lot on leadership. I'm still learning uh, how to be a leader even at this point in my life and and what leadership looks like. I had the privilege of teaching on leadership. A couple of years ago I did a series here on Sunday nights, Not On My Watch, where we talked about leadership principles and and what it takes to be a leader looking at Nehemiah and the lessons from the life of Nehemiah. A few years ago I had two years in a row I taught at Leadership Albany uh, some classes for those that go through Leadership Albany. I've had the privilege of talking to banking people and realtors and schools and and coaching staffs. A couple of times I've taught at the Billy Graham Training Center uh, to a group of pastors on leadership and on how to lead their churches. Uh, I've done a summit, I did a summit a few years ago for middle managers primarily in the the Walmart, the Tyson, that environment uh, for Ronnie Floyd at his church and but here's what I always know when I talk to people about leadership. You've got to get, at some point in that, you've got to get to, does this fit with Scripture? And so every book on leadership I read and every time I teach on leadership, I always remember the fact that it's got to go through the grid of Scripture because the greatest book on leadership ever written was the Bible. It tells us how God leads his world toward redemption and toward the end of time. And what I, what I know about leadership is what it's not, it's not personality, it's not necessarily your giftedness, it's not networking, it's not necessarily your education or your degree, it's not a well-written resume, it's not having an outgoing personality. Uh, I I saw a guy this week in Phoenix while we were there for the Southern Baptist Convention and this this guy he's a he's a parachurch guy in fact we use some of his material here he's got these little cards where you call in and you can ask questions about anything about the Bible and he had a booth set up there and and I walked away and I thought that guy could sell aluminum siding to the White House I mean he can sell anything he's a He's got a great personality. He's an outgoing personality. That doesn't have anything to do with leadership. Uh, Some of the greatest leaders I've I've known have been men who are by nature introverts. But their position and their calling required them to step out of their comfort zone and to be leaders. So we need direction about what leadership really is. Because the world will tell us one thing about leadership because it's a dog-eat-dog world. Now, you know this if you've been around here a while, that I am directionally dysfunctional, which means I don't know which way north is. Uh, If I had a compass, I would hold it upside down and wonder why it kept spinning to go back up to the other direction. And so I use a GPS, a global positioning system in my car. I, I use a map on my phone to make sure that I get from A to B in the quickest possible way. But you know, the GPS system in your car or on your phone is based on an ancient maritime system. That an ancient mariner had to have a two points from which to work with and triangulate between those two points and where he was. So he would know where he was going and how he was going to get there. The ship had to have two other fixed objects. Well, we need fixed objects. We don't need to go with the waves or the winds. We need fixed objects and and those fixed objects are the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We need to position ourselves and triangulate ourselves with the Word of God and with the Spirit of God. And so it's God's Word is found... You find God's will, and you do that by the Word and the Spirit bringing you to what God's will looks like for your life, your purpose for life, how you're to lead as a leader. And, and, you know, I've I've gone to leadership seminars, a a bunch of them. Uh, Some of them I heard the same things i would heard before, but I'd forgotten. But here's where most leadership seminars land. Strategy and motivation. Strategy and motivation. They will try to get you to have a better strategy or to buy their $99 kit of their strategy or to motivate you and some people you just can't motivate. I mean, you know, some people you just can't motivate. They're like a knot on a log and and they're a square peg in a round hole and you can't motivate them. But. All of those programs of strategy and motivation come to one conclusion, and that is in your flesh, on your own, without asking God for any help, you can figure it all out. Now let me tell you what the prophet Isaiah says. Isaiah 31 one says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are strong, but they do not look To the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. I've had a lot of opportunities to learn from some people. Years ago, Jay Strack did a. uh uh, behind the scenes of Disney and about 50 of us were able to go and go down in the tunnels and go through all of Disney. I mean, we even, we even found where they do their laundry and, uh, and where they recycle refuse. I mean, you want to know the backside of Disney. I mean, I've, I've been there. I've seen all of that. I've been down in the tunnel. I know how to get underground from A to B, how they do their uniforms. Like if you're working the, the, uh, the mountain ride, and you get ice cream on your shirt, you do not stay there with ice cream on your shirt. You go down and you go get another uniform. The room that they hold all their uniforms in is bigger than this church plant. Because you never have a dirty uniform. Everybody in leadership with Disney has to serve at some point. So if they're the president, CEO of Disney, at some point once a month, they're out on the streets selling hot dogs or sweeping the street because they're listening to what people are saying to try to figure out how to get better. Disney has set a standard of excellence that a lot of people try to follow. I've spent time with folks at Chick-fil-A. I I was in a meeting a few years ago where uh, a pastor called us together And uh, we got to spend a half a day with the CEO of Tyson and a half a day with the CEO of Walmart. And so I've been able to listen to people that are at the top of their game about leadership and about what you need to do to be leaders. But we have to always remember God's Word's a standard. By the way, at that time, the CEO of Tyson and the CEO of Walmart were believers and that's the very thing they talked about. If you're going to lead, you've got to make sure you're leading with a biblical worldview. So here's the danger in studying leadership, there's a twofold danger. Most of us don't think of ourselves as leaders. Most people, if you say, hey, are you a leader, no, I'm not a leader. But if anybody's listening to you, you're a leader. You're a leader in your home. You're a leader in your school. You have influence over people's lives. But most of us don't think of ourselves as leaders. So when somebody talks about leadership, we think that doesn't apply to me. It applies to all of us. We are all supposed to lead in some area of our lives, whether at work, at home, at school, or wherever it is. But the second danger is those who are often in leadership, they lead in their flesh and not by the Spirit. Here's the greatest danger, is to take what God says to you on Sunday and never take it into Monday. And when you're making decisions in your business or in your corporation or as an employee or as an employer, when you're making decisions and you don't take what you learned at church and apply it in your work world, then you are operating in your flesh and not by your spirit, which means you're only going to get as far as you can go. God can't take you any further. You see, the lure of success is that success is building up my resume. Success is building up my job opportunity, my portfolio, my profile. But success, in God's eyes, is magnifying Christ and building up the kingdom and using the platform that you have to make a difference in people's lives. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 18, this is from the message. The message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works. And most powerfully, as it turns out, it's written, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I'll expose so-called experts as crackpots. So where can you find someone truly wise, truly educated, truly intelligent in this day and age? Hasn't God exposed it all as pretentious nonsense? God exposes the wisdom of this world as pretentious nonsense. So let's talk about the need to stick to a biblical model. So what it, what is it? Is it status? Is it title? Is it rank? Is it position? Is it where you are on the organizational chart? You know, I've met people in ministry that are obsessed with what their title is. What's my title going to be? Well, let me tell you what everybody's title is. Nothing without Jesus. That's your title. (laughs) We're nothing without Jesus. We don't have anything to offer people without Jesus that will last more than a moment. But with Jesus, what we do lasts for eternity. So I want you to look. Here's what Jesus said are the kind of people he needs. First of all, he needs people to be saved. He needs people to be saved. You want to be a, a courageous leader and a great leader, first thing you've got to do is know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've got to realize that you can't fix your life. How are you going to lead somebody else if you can't have your own life led? You can't fix it. You can't change it. You can't make it better. You need Christ in your life to change you into what he designed you to be. We need to be saved. You need to be a servant. You need to be a servant. Not too good to do anything. We need to have servant hearts. We need the spirit. We need the spirit. So we need to have be saved, be a servant And we need the Spirit. And the Scripture tells us all of that. Uh, We just finished, not long ago, a series in Ephesians on Sunday nights where we talked about leadership and life and love and the family in the context of who we are in Christ. Paul says if you want to be great as a dad, if you want to be great as a man, as a woman, as a child, as an employer or an employee, then know who you are in Christ Because out of that will flow your ability to lead well or to follow well wherever you find yourself. So here's Paul. Paul establishes the first missionary movement. He's the most well-known person in Christendom outside of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's a fallible man, a fallen man, but here's what he didn't do. He did not follow the philosophies of Plato. He did not follow the military strategies of Caesar. He did not follow the Greco-Roman rhetoric. He was his own man filled with Jesus Christ and nothing about his leadership style would we say that's the way to do things. Not by the world standards. He was Christ-centered. His message was the cross. His life was a living witness and his goal was to build the kingdom. I love what John MacArthur says here, leadership for the Christian always has a spiritual dimension. Leadership for the Christian, if you own a business, if you run a business, if you manage somebody, leadership for the Christian always has a spiritual dimension. God does not silo our Christianity over to the side and have it have no impact on who we are, how we act, or how we make decisions today's family today's church and today's community needs some spiritual dimensions to it what we are lacking in america today is men who will step up and lead their families what we're lacking in our communities today is people who will take disorder and chaos and turn it into order Our communities are in disarray, our churches are powerless because it's hard to find people that want to step up and lead and pay the price to be a leader in the church. This is a startling statistic and it is a sign of the lack of leadership in the pulpits of America. 53,000 people leave the Evangelical Churches of America Every week and don't come back. 53,000. 50 churches close their, uh, 100 churches close their doors every week. 50 pastors leave the ministry every week. America is now the fifth largest mission field in the world. There are only a few countries that are a bigger mission field than we are. You know what that is? That's a lack of leadership. That's a lack of following orders. We're under orders. The order is to fulfill the Great Commission. The order is to fulfill the commandment. Now, those of you with a military background, and I'm just looking at Ken right here because he's sitting here. Those of you with a military background, if you got an order to take a hill, you didn't say, well, we'll do that when we feel like it. I mean, if a general calls a staff meeting and says, we're going to do this, we're sending this platoon here, we're going to have Air Corps come in here, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Nobody said, hey, could we just have a group therapy discussion on this? We've just celebrated the anniversary of Normandy. You know why they're the greatest illustration generation? is because most of them knew they were going to die. And they followed orders to try to liberate people they had never met and would never meet. That's leadership. Whether they were private or sergeant or lieutenant. I told Terry the other day when Saving Private Ryan came on, I said, you know, it's got bad language and it's bloody, but it ought to be required viewing for every young man and young woman in America to know somebody paid a price for you to have your cell phone. Somebody paid a price for you To just sit on your blessed assurance and do nothing. And expect the government to pay for all of it. Somebody paid a price for that. We've got to step up in the area of leadership. We've got to be greater and better leaders than we have been. And and so here's Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 17. All scriptures inspired by God, verse 16. So that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped for every good work." Now when you think about Paul, there's no style over substance with Paul. I mean, what you saw is what you got. Just think about Paul if he was the candidate to be the pastor of this church or any church, or the head of the International Mission Board, or the head of the North American Mission Board, or the head of some parachurch organization. Just think just think about Here's the guy's resume. This is what you got when you get Paul. He wasn't a great speaker, according to 1 Corinthians 2 and 2 Corinthians 10. He wasn't much to look at, according to Galatians 4, 13 and 14, which was counterculture to the Greco-Roman world, which shows you that man is not evolving, because the Greco-Roman world put all emphasis on image and not on character. So Paul wasn't much to look at. He didn't use his pedigree, his resume, his degrees to gain favor according to Philippians 3. When he spoke about his heritage, he said it was nothing compared to knowing Christ. He got run out of town in most of the places that he went. Every time he showed up at the synagogue, he might last two or three weeks and then they'd kick him out. He was confrontational according to Galatians 1 and 2 Corinthians 10 and 1 Thessalonians 2. The guy had a prison record after he got saved. let well, see, we're looking for a guy, you know, hey, you've been around a lot. You've been in a lot of places, huh? Prison record. Yeah, they didn't take mud shots back then, but I do have a prison record. In fact, he even acknowledged it. He had a prison record after he got saved. He didn't measure up. This guy, from the world's standpoint, was a loose cannon. And he did not measure up and he got people too stirred up. But here's what God said about him. Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now this next quote you need to get. Because you've got somebody that needs it. Ken Blanchard said, ego is a deal killer in organizations, businesses, churches, and entrepreneurial enterprises. I call it edging God out. Ego. Edging God out. It arrogantly proclaims, I am all-powerful, I am God. So when you see someone with an ego, they're edging God out. If you are known as a person with a big ego, you're edging God out. I I heard a guy a few years ago preach on humility and he was very proud of his sermon. In fact, he said at one point in the sermon, If you are as humble as I have become, And I thought, surely he didn't just say that. And then he wrote a book on it. You know, every one of us know people who have their own book written, they'd like to sell it to you, Humility and How I Attained It. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. This is what Paul says about the kind of leaders that God uses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. Paul is talking to the most proud, arrogant church that he ever encountered, the Corinthians. They thought they had it all. They thought they had it all figured out. They didn't think they needed anybody. In fact, they demeaned Paul. They ran Paul down. They made fun of Paul. They were a a grief to Paul's heart. And so right at the beginning of this first letter, he says, "...for consider your calling, brethren." That there were not many, he doesn't say not any, he says not many, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord." Now, somewhere by that passage, you ought to write in the margin of your Bible what one writer says about these verses. This is the divine incognito. This is a holy God choosing the things and the people that the world despises to show that he despises pride and arrogance, which is offensive to a holy God. Pride and arrogance is offensive. To a holy God. This is the divine incognito. God hiding himself in weak things and in weak people. You see, some of us are just too strong for God to use. It's not that we're too weak for God to use, it's we're too strong for God to use because we try to help God out. And Paul says, not many. You see, Rome was known for its powerful leaders. But Rome had no hope. The church was not known for great leaders. They were just saved fishermen and tax collectors and converted prostitutes. I mean, the hodgepodge of the humanity that Jesus pulled together in that early church and in the book of Acts. I mean, there's nothing about that group that would make you stand up and take notice about how they dressed, how they lived, where they went, their education. Nothing about them, but they survived and they prospered and began to flourish even as the Roman Empire began to decline. The most dangerous mentality you can have is I will do it for you, Jesus. Those are seven deadly words. I'll do it for you, Jesus. I won't pray about it. I won't be a person of the word, but I will step up and I'll grit my teeth and I'll try harder to do better and I'll do it for you, Jesus. Those are dangerous words the most courageous mentality you can have is, I'm desperate for you, Jesus. I can't, but you can. I'm desperate. I can't, but you can. Those are life-giving words. If you're in 1 Corinthians, just turn to chapter 2 and verse 3. Paul is continuing to write to these Corinthians. He says, I was with you in weakness. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. He has seen Jesus with his own eyes. I mean, he has become the leader at the forefront somewhere in the book of Acts. It changes from Simon Peter to the Apostle Paul being at the forefront of the missionary movement. He, he is on the forefront. He had every right to claim his title, but his favorite name for himself was Servant. He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words or wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Paul did not think he needed high-tech communications. He didn't think he needed upgrades. He didn't think he needed a favorable tax bracket. He did not think he needed a letter of introduction. What he knew he needed was the Spirit of God. Paul knew to lead the way that God has called me to lead. I need to depend on the Spirit of God revealing to me out of the Word of God the, the kind of man I'm supposed to be. So what about you? What about me? You see the word of God will reveal the will of God to the person of God who is surrendered to God. The word of God will reveal the will of God to the person of God who is surrendered to God. James Russell Lowell said this. No one is born into the world whose work is not born with him. So when God formed you, when God made you, when he got to know you, as Jeremiah 1.5 says, when God got to know you in your mother's womb, God set you to be who he wanted you to be. And no one is born in this world whose work is not born with him. God has a plan and a purpose and a place for your life. He has something he wants you to do. And you may think, well, what I feel like I'm good at, it doesn't matter for the kingdom. Hey, listen, God needs sanctified leaders who are plumbers and electricians. I don't know how to do that stuff. If I did it, I'd be standing in six feet of water trying to get the lights wired up. I mean, that's about how much I know. You know, sometimes you just need somebody to call who knows how to do something you don't know how to do. And so in every field of life, God has placed people in every area of life, in banking and in schools and economics, in manufacturing, whatever it is, you name the field in education, God has placed people to be in that field to be a light and a witness, which means you're a leader because if you're good at what you do, if you're excellent at what you do, others will come to find out how did you get there? And that's when you say, it's because of what Christ did for me. It's because of the change that Christ made in my life. It's because I learned that my values and my ethics are built in the Word of God. Every Leader is born with their work with them. Now, let's go back to early in the message. A lot of us don't consider ourselves leaders, and so it's easier to play it safe. It's easier to do the least possible. It's easier to not push ourselves out there and to step up and to do what. God told us to do. It's easier to just get in our comfort zone and just live until we die. But I want to ask you three questions in closing. Number one, if not you, who? I mean, who's going to lead your home? If you don't do it, who's going to do it? Who's going to be the witness at your work, at your school, in your neighborhood? If you don't do it, who's going to do it? If not you, who? If not now, when? I mean, how long are you going to wait? If you're not going to step up and lead now, when, when are you going to do it? And if not here, where? If not you, who? If not now, when? If not here, where? Where? When will you and I embrace the purpose that God has for us in Christ Jesus to be the leaders that he has called us to be? As men and women, as those who are followers of Jesus Christ, when will we be the person God purposed us to be? It takes courage to do that because the first thing you have to admit is I can't, but He can. Would you pray with me? Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you can never be what God designed you to be, what God created you in your mother's womb to be apart from Christ. The Bible says it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Paul thought that he had been created to be a Pharisee and he'd been created to be a leader in Judaism But God had designed him to be the person who would suffer but would be the leader to take the gospel even to kings. And he did, because later in one of his letters he says that the gospel had been heard even in Caesar's household. He got there because of the witness of the Apostle Paul. By the time Paul died, the gospel had been taken to the known world. So you need to be saved. And and our men are here at the end of the aisle. And if you need to trust Christ today, if you need to give your heart to Christ today, then I'm just going to ask you to step out from where you are right now. While we're praying, I'm going to ask you just to step out and just find one of these men and say, I need to trust Christ as my Lord and Savior today. I need to give my heart to Jesus Christ today. Because I want to lead well. I want to lead my children well. I want to lead my work well. Whatever it is, I, I... I want to lead well, but I know I can't lead well if I've not been saved. And then, for the rest of us, we all know we need to be servants. Not celebrities, servants. Just putting our hands to the plow and doing what God called us to do with our lives. And then we need the Spirit And so I want to ask you, if you do know Christ, I want to ask you to just pray two things right now. Lord, I surrender to being a servant of yours. I lay down my rights, my desires, my agenda, and I surrender to being a servant of yours. And I ask you to give me the power of the Holy Spirit in my life to lead well and to lead in a way that honors you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you today realizing that all of us are inadequate in some way, shape, or form. And even if we are adequate, the devil tells us all the time that we're not. That we can't, that we shouldn't. But God, you have saved the people in this room for a purpose. You have placed them as a housewife, as a a blue-collar worker, as a white-collar worker, as a senior adult, wherever they are in life as a student. You've placed every one of us in a particular place and location here to be leaders in this community. Lord, I I just envision what would happen in southwest Georgia if just the membership of this church stepped up to the plate and said, God, I'm available to do whatever you need me to do. I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to work. I'm willing to be in the shadows or I'm willing to stand at the forefront. Whatever you need, wherever you need, I'm willing. I'm available. God, if we would do that, we would move mountains in this community. We would see the darkness being pushed back and the church storming the gates of hell just by us stepping up to our purpose in this world. So God, would you take us as your people known as the Sherwood family And would you do with us, in us, and through us what we could not do in our own sufficiency? Would you do it through the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that it makes a marked difference in this community? And the people of God said,